All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. We're in a series for the new year. Um, we talked about, first of all, being careful to maintain good works. And uh, then we talked about loving one another last week. And so I'm going to continue this series on love one another uh, for a couple of more weeks and pull out the idea for you. So the big idea, I want you to go home today saying, I know what the big idea at church was, love one another, all right? So if you were asked by your family member, hey, what did you learn about or hear about in the sermon today? It is? All right, you're with me. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in what? Love. All right. So I've entitled this message today, Love One Another, The Minimums. All right, so we're going to look at two of these. And so if you were to look at the command of Jesus in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So we realized it was new, not necessarily in time, because when Jesus was asked, how would you summarize the Old Testament, Jesus? He said it this way, that all the law of the prophets may be summed up in love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's how Jesus summarized the Old Testament. So it wasn't new in time, but it was new in quality or in its character. Jesus says, as I have loved you. And so that's how we as Christians are supposed to love. It's a, it's a new kind of love. And we talked about the different kinds of love, and we learned that that was God's love, the agape love, which is that unconditional love, and we choose to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, there are 35 of these one another commands in the New Testament. Uh, we're only going to look at two of them today. But these are the irreducible minimums. And we're going to take that abstract principle. Actually, it's not a principle. It's a command. And we don't get to choose whether we do them or not because we're going to be obedient or disobedient. All right. But um, learning how to take that theory and then actually put it into practice within the local church. All right, so are you with me so far? All right, so if you love one another in a local church, what does it look like? Well, at a bare minimum, it means, number one, you put up with one another. All right, that's a bare minimum, and that's actually what Jesus says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. So that means having patience, but really it means tolerating one another and putting up with one another. So with all lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering, here's three ways that are listed before you actually get to the one another command. Now the one another command is forbear with one another, and so that's our first point here, bearing with one another, or forbearing with one another, putting up with one another. So this is inter interesting here. So the suffering aspect of patience comes out in this particular love one another command. Um, but there is a difference. Okay? 
This is not patience extended towards unbelieving people. Those who aren't Christians. This is actually a command in your relationship with your fellow Christians. Ouch. Okay? So let's just be honest and, and put the reality that exists when you bring a group of people together in a church setting. Now remember, a church is not its building, it's the group of people. So when you bring that group of people together, you're multiplying the human sin nature. And interpersonal relationships can go askew in a church setting because nobody is perfect, including pastor or deacons or Sunday school teachers or nursery workers or children in the church. Nobody's going to be perfect at all the time. So at some point or another, you're going to have to forbear with another Christian because they're going to offend you. You could be tempted to lose your patience with them. You could be tempted to be harsh with them. You could be tempted to exhort your authority or your power over them. Did you notice in our reading in the book of Philemon today where Paul uh, was writing to Philemon and saying, you know, I really want to keep Onesimus here so he can minister to me while I'm in prison because I was preaching the gospel, but I would do nothing without your mind in this matter. So I'm appealing to you, receive him as you would receive me. And if he's wronged you in any way, put it on my account. You see, Onesimus was a runaway slave. And when he got saved, the Apostle Paul started working with him. And guess what they discovered? He had an interpersonal relationship problem. Instead of dealing with it, he ran away. Now that he's become a Christian, Onesimus has received grace on how to deal with that interpersonal relationship problem. So Paul is sending him back to Philemon. And just in case Philemon might have some interpersonal relationship problems with Onesimus for being the runaway, Paul says, no, you two now are brothers in Christ. And that makes a difference in how you relate to one another. It governs your relationship in a new way. You see, we were once unprofitable. We were running away from God. But Christ saved us and reconciled, brought us back to the Father. And now we need to know how to have a relationship with the Father and with his family, one another. So you may have grown up in a dysfunctional home. Now, I would never label the home that I grew up in dysfunctional, but I would never label it perfect. All right? So I'm the grandson of a man who uh, was beset by alcohol. And uh, there were some communication disorders that were passed down to my father that were passed down to me. And, um, and so sometimes sin goes down the line a little bit. But by the grace of God, my parents got saved at the age of 19. And uh, they broke that cycle uh, by learning how to biblically communicate and then taught that to me. But nonetheless, there's still some, we were not the perfect family, right? We had to, to learn how to get along with one another. 
So imagine that now a hundredfold when you bring all of your family imperfections and sins into a local church and now you're relating to one another. Undoubtedly, as sparks fly upward, we're going to get into adversity in our interpersonal relationships in a church. It's just the way it is, right? You're going to be offended. Is this message offensive to you right now? <laughs> okay. And uh, isn't that kind of just the way that people are wearing their emotions today? I'm offended. I defriend you. All right. And I'm going to just remove you from my social media life so I don't have to deal with you. That's, that's just how culture and society is. But guess what? In a local church, you don't have a delete friendship button. You have to live with them. And here's some other applications. If you're married and you're Christians, you don't have a, a delete friendship button. You've got to learn to live with your spouse. You've got to learn to live with your parents and your children, your in-laws or outlaws. All right? So this message is the bare minimums. So there are three ways that we can actually bear with one another. All right? First of all is in humility. All right? So walking humbly with people. Paul puts it this way in the book of Romans. Bearing with one another, thinking the other believer is better than you. Hmm. You see, that goes against the carnal human nature that says, I'm a better person than that brother or that sister. That's a fleshly thought. If you've been saved for 30 years and you think you've got things down and you look at a brand new Christian who's struggling and you say, I'm a better Christian, maybe you ought to reevaluate that thought because you're filled with pride. And that's, that's a problem, right? So pride is the opposite of humility. Um, God loves you and God loves them the same way in Christ Jesus. And so this is to walk humbly uh, is one of the things that God requires of us in life, to do justly, and to walk humbly. And so we have to walk humbly with people. And we have to actually think that they're better than I am. And so now that doesn't mean you have to look at them and think that they're perfect. And if they sin against you, that doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with the sin. Right? You have to sit down and you have to work through things with people. And so you have to walk humbly. Then the next one is gentle. Now, here it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, lowliness, so put yourself lower than the other person, all right, that's humility. And then meekness is sometimes translated gentleness. But in our society, sometimes people think that meekness is what? Weakness, but it's not. Meekness is when you take your strength and you throttle it, you govern it, all right, for the benefit of the other Christian. And so you deal gently with them. You're meek, okay? And so this relates specifically to trials we have as a result of uncharitable conduct toward us by other Christians, okay? And so we are to demonstrate a higher way of living life, to demonstrate a way that is superior 
to the ungodly world to demonstrate a special unity which is ours in the person of Christ Jesus. So we have to put up with them. We have to love them anyway when they irritate us. And so here is two ways so far in lowliness or humility, think that the other person is better than you, uh, then in gentleness or meekness. And then the third word here is long-suffering or it can be patience, which just means continuous and unconditional. Um, how many of you know what the great love chapter in the Bible is? All right, 1 Corinthians 13. Do you know that wasn't written to husbands and wives for Valentine's Day? Okay. That was written to a sinful Corinthian church because they had interpersonal relationship problems and they didn't love one another. And so they were bickering and squabbling. They thought they were better. They were divided into factions and parties. They were following different personalities and leaders. And it was just a mess. And then they were boasting, but I have the spiritual gift of, and I'm a spiritual person, because look at my gift. I'm going to use my gift, all right? And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I show you a better way. Love one another. And then it gives a list of positive actions of what it means to love. And it says, believes all things. And then it ends up starting out where it begins. And just basically start over in the process and love them again. Even if they have proved that they are a failure, you start over in your attitude and in your heart. Again, you go back up to the top of the list and work through it again, and just keep looping, looping. So if you pay close attention to 1 Corinthians 13, that's where that goes. So long-suffering literally means long-fused. All right? So you're not a stick of dynamite that has a little fuse that you light it, and as soon as you light it, boom, all right? In other words, people call this triggers. When you see that person, you're triggered, all right? Well, what you see in another person should be Jesus. And grace should be triggered in your heart. because we're long-suffering towards that believer. Now, let's move on to our second minimum here today, forgiving one another. Man, oh man. Sometimes we think that there's no sin in a local church. But there is. So God says, when someone sins against you, guess what? You have to forgive them wait a minute, I thought forgiveness was an emotional attribute of a person because I certainly don't feel like forgiving them. Right? Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a command. You're, let me just take a rabbit trail for a second. All right, sometimes in my pastorate over 25 years of being a senior pastor, I've Checked up on people who aren't in fellowship. They're disobedient to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, where it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much more as you see the day approaching, exhort, encourage one another. 
So I follow up on them, and I'll get a comment like this. Oh, pastor, it was such a bad week. I personally failed in my walk with Jesus, and I was just so filled with guilt. And I, and, you know, and I actually haven't asked for forgiveness yet. Or I had a big blow-up fight with my spouse this week, and I just don't feel like coming to church. Because I don't want to come to church and be a hypocrite. I don't want to sit out there and, and pretend that I'm really worshiping God when I've got all of this going on in my heart and my mind. And I'll say, well, then you'll just be a disobedient hypocrite at home. All right? Because whether you obey God or not is not a matter of your feelings. You have to obey. And you see, this is what it's all about because... And, and this happens when I, when I give counsel to one another. Um, we feel first, then we act, and then we think. So I call it fact, right? Feel, act, think. But for the Christian, it's absolutely inverted. We think, and then act, and then God will bring the right feelings along with obedience. And the right thoughts lead to the right actions, then God's joyful emotions come into play. So, sorry if that's been in your thinking, that, oh, I shouldn't be at church because I sinned so bad this week or I had such a bad fight, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, come on, we're all full of sin, right? And that's why we need church. We need to exhort and encourage one another. We need to be worshiping Jesus because it puts us in a place of humility, and, and walking in lowliness and patience towards other people. And so really what may be going on is that we need to change our heart and our thoughts. So Ephesians 4.32, if you want to go down further in the chapter, we were in Ephesians 4.2. Now let's go down to Ephesians 4.32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. All right, so here's the command. Forgiving one another, okay? And being kind to one another. All right, so let's look at, at how this practically works out. First of all, you, you see the verb, all right? It's two words, be kind, be forgiving, all right? So the word be here means to become. In other words, when you became a Christian, you are to become more and more like Jesus. Maybe you weren't a kind person before you came to Jesus. But now that you know Jesus, you have grace to actually become kind and forgiving. I, I just love the story. I, I just can't stop telling it. Uh, you've heard the name before. Uh, this believer, she's in glory in the presence of Jesus. But Margot, she was an alcoholic. She was a heroin addict. She was a lesbian. And she got saved. And we found out that she had a mean streak to her. And uh, God graciously transformed that woman over 18 months. That alcoholism went out of her life, the lesbianism left her life, 
the anger left her life, the heroin addict, that all left. And then she died 18 months after she became a Christian, what we think were natural causes. And at her memorial service, we filled the church auditorium up with 120 of Alcoholics Anonymous people. And they stood up and said these kind of things about Margot. Something happened to her. She was mean and nasty, and we didn't like being around her. We avoided her at AA meetings. We saw her. We went the other way. But something happened, and she became sweet and kind. We actually liked her. And then they said, and she celebrated a year of sobriety for the first time in her whole life. Follow-up comment. Whatever you did for her, please keep doing for the rest of us. Wow! What kind of transformation is that? And so she became something completely different than what she had been. Another brother in Christ put it this way to me. Pastor, when I first got saved, it was like being down at the valley, but now after I've been saved for a while, it's like taking a hike and I'm up on top of the ridge looking back down at the valley. And I thought, wow, I've come a long way, Pastor. That's the grace of God. That's obedience to the B command that's here in verse 32. You became something, now not of your own power, but of God's power to change you. So following the putting away of different things such as anger and etc. that are in verse 31, clamor, malice, all of these things. So the idea is that they had to abandon the mental condition that was previously in their mind in their interpersonal relationships, and they had to, to make new way, beginning then and there, to do the opposite. So, if you go back up, if you're in Ephesians chapter 4, and you look at verse 28, it says um, that the one who's a thief, is he's supposed to stop his thievery, Right? But that's not all he's supposed to do. He's supposed to get his eyeballs off of his own condition because it's been selfish. It's all about me. Take, 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 take. And he's supposed to get his eyes on other people and say, they've got a need. They need help. God's given me grace. I can, I can, I have that resource. I can help them. And then God says to them, work with your hands, get a job so that you can accumulate wealth to give it away. You can meet someone else's need. You see, that's when he's really no longer a thief, is when he's others-oriented. He's changed his way of thinking from me, 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 to others, 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 others. What do they need? How can I help? What can I do? So he's completely transformed. And so this is what God is saying, and be kind. Because sometimes people just aren't kind, and they have to become something new in Jesus. So kind here uh, means benevolent or gracious, okay? In opposition to harsh, hard, bitter, or sharp. Do you know harsh, hard, bitter, sharp people? We all do, right? And so, as Christians, sometimes that carries into our Christian life because it's been a way of habit for decades. 
but you have to be something different in Christ Jesus, and you can only do that through God's help. Now, um, this concept here is carried over into the Gospels, and I'll just mention it in, in passing. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says to take his yoke upon you, for it is easy. It's the same word as kind here, okay? Um, it, it basically is, is saying this, all right? God will treat you good when you take his yoke upon you. So this kindness is goodness. Be good to other people. And when you take the life of Jesus on you and you wear that yoke, all right, now you know what a yoke is, right, besides what's in an egg, all right? It's a bar that they would hook up to oxen or cattle and they would team them up and they would have to pull together, all right? Now, they learned, farmers learned, that you don't put a cattle and oxen in the same yoke because they don't pull equally, right? You end up fighting that team. So, as Christians, we're not supposed to be yoked in our relationships um, to unbelievers because we're not pulling together in life. Now, hold on. I know that's a whole different subject, and I could open up a whole realm of possibility in your thinking, all right? But I don't want to do that today, right? So here's what I'm trying to, to get across by that point. As a church, be kind applies to not only the one who needs to change being offensive, but it applies to the one who's being offended. And we have to pull together in grace. And so the burden lies just as much upon the one who is offended as it does upon the one who's offending to change. So we're supposed to suffer the wrong. We're supposed to be patient and start the whole process over again with them. But to be kind, to be compassionate. Okay? Um, I remember years ago a failure when I, as a Christian pastor, failed to be compassionate when I saw a human need, I saw a human being laying on a sidewalk, and I was concerned because I was training for a marathon, and I ran about 50 steps past them. And I just thought to myself, as a crush of guilt hit me, and it was Holy Spirit guilt. What are you doing, you stupid hypocrite? You Levite, what are you? That one that walked past the... The, the Samaritan that was laying on the ground, what do you think you're doing? So I had to go back, talk to the guy for a few minutes, and then I heard that someone else had stopped and an ambulance was on its way to, to get them. Uh, the guy was passed out. He was very much inebriated, and that was what was going on. Um, but I was able to, to talk to him, and he was just drunk and passed out because of his drunkenness. But what if it wasn't just drunkenness? What if it was something else? And I just realized at that moment how cold and calloused my own heart was. Has your heart ever gotten cold and calloused to the people standing on the street corner? You know, I had a brother in Christ teach me. Um, he said, you know what I do, Pastor, during the winter months? So I have a little care package that I put together for people standing on the street corner. He says, I put a rain poncho in there. 
Oh, what a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, besides just giving them a gospel track and saying, go to church and get your life straightened out, buddy, it's trying to practically do something. He hadn't lost his compassion towards people. We live in a day and age, folks, where our society runs roughshod over everybody. And as Christians, we're tempted to do the same thing. And we're tempted to treat our brothers and sisters in the local church with that same rush, uh, roughness, that same harshness. We forget to consider, do they have a need? How can I help? What's going on? And so we have to be kind to one another. Now that's the next phrase before we even get in here. But one another, uh, for yourselves. In other words, we're a church. And as one struggles, we should all struggle. As one prospers, we should all prosper. As one weeps, we should all weep. As one rejoices, we should all rejoice. So the least of us should matter. I was thinking about that yesterday, back to my previous ministry. And um, our people were so good in bringing in those that needed help in life. And one person, his name was Alex, and Alex was an awkward kind of guy. Just weird. Hate to say it, but just what everybody thought of him. But you know, our church just loved on him, tried to, to do things. And the one family that invited him, they continuously were just checking up on him, just trying to help out. We had a young man that, you wouldn't know it, but he was homeless. He lived in a tent behind bushes. And our men encouraged him about his personal hygiene. That was the initial contribution. You're coming to church, you're offensive, you stink, you smell. Take a bath before you come to church. Well, then they found out what was behind that. He was homeless. He didn't have a place to take a bath. So then it was that they tried to help him. And they bought him new clothes and taught him how to try to apply for jobs and got involved in his life. And there was love there, folks, trying to be kind, compassionate. So, yeah, I mean, body odor's not pleasant. And it pushes people away sometimes. But do you really know what's going on there? And so, be kind. Be kind to one another. And so, we belong together as a family, so the weakest of us should be considered. Now, Tender-hearted is that idea of being compassionate that's in that verse, all right? And then forgiving. Now, here comes really the hard point of today's message. Forgiveness. And so the scripture is going to give you some insight on how you do this today, all right? So while you're there, go back to Ephesians 4.32, all right? And look at that very carefully. Forgiving one another, even as God, what? In Christ forgave you. Here's how you forgive one another. Yes, God forgave your sins in the sense that in the person of his son, Jesus, he bore them on the cross, 
paying the penalty and satisfying his just nature. But there's more to forgiveness here. Okay? This means that when you forgive somebody, it's to do a favor, to do something agreeable or pleasant to one, to show oneself gracious, benevolent, in the sense of treating the offending party graciously. I, ooh, I can struggle with that. Can you struggle with that? Yeah, okay. So the same word is used of God here, forgiving us in Christ. Not for Christ's sake, per se, but in Christ. Uh, the Greek preposition here, en, en Christos, in Christ, it is God who forgives us, being the God who manifests himself and acts in the suffering, reconciling of Christ. It is the God who forgives in the sphere of Christ, that is, in his forgiveness, is made possible from the point of the law through the atonement. Okay? So in Christ Jesus. This is why I was saying you can't be compassionate in and of yourself. You can't be different. You can't change in and of yourself. It has to be done in the life of Christ. And when you look at Jesus, he's so beautiful. He's a beautiful person. He shows us how to forgive. When his body is ripped and torn and bleeding, he says on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he's got nail holes. He's got nails pressing against the nerves in his body. He's got open wounds getting air into them. He has the humiliation of passerby uh, ridiculing him. And he says, Father, forgive them. And so think of all the offenses and all the sins that you've committed against a holy, perfect, righteous, just God. The unkind thoughts or words, all of the things you forgot to do that God said to do. I mean, think about that. If we only committed three sins a day, that would only be a thousand sins a year. Okay? And the average life expectancy of an American at 78,000 sins, that's only 78,000 sins minus a million or two. Right? And if God can forgive all of that, the good news is he'll give us grace so we can forgive the offending brother or sister. So these are the, the bare minimums. Now, even as, or just according to, in the degree, seeing that um, from the argument of Jesus, so that's why I was mentioning that last point there, we ought to resemble Jesus. And so we should be able to separate those mingled motives of wanting to get justice against a person and then granting to them forgiveness. Extending that kindness, showing yourself compassionate or agreeable or pleasant to forgive them. And so Peter was amazed when Jesus taught on that. And he came to Jesus 
Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? You know the rest of this, don't you? Peter, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven, Peter. Now that doesn't give you an excuse at 491 to shut off forgiveness. Okay? Because we have to forgive. In the body of Christ, we're talking about the bare minimums of how we treat one another in church life. Here's two of them. Put up with one another, and when they sin against you, you still put up with them, and then you forgive them. That's God's grace. And we can do that in the sphere and the realm of Christ.